so I, again, I apologize for getting things out of order. We did law of obedience two weeks ago and then realized, oh shoot, we forgot cherubim and the flaming sword. We should have done that first. I think it's crucial that we all understand. Think about it. Every time you go to the temple, before we start making covenants, as we start making covenants, in the middle of this covenant-making endowment presentation, he tells the story about the fall and the garden and cherubim and the flaming sword. And it took me a long time to put that together, to say, why is he telling that story in this setting? I mean, could we or could we not just start the endowment session and say, all right, first covenant, law of obedience, everyone, second covenant, law of, obedience, law of sacrifice. But there's a narrative to the covenants. And we've got to connect the narrative to what the covenants are asking us to do. And I think it's very important that we all understand that it's been his intention from the very beginning that this is a probationary state. And that I put you under covenant and I don't expect perfection. Let's just work on it. Let's grow towards it. Let's get better every day. Let's just get up every time we fall. So that being said, I want to go back to the covenants. I want to kind of show you the flow that we're going to try and work on as this class goes. So as I go down this way from vertically, we're increasing in the seriousness, the depth of our covenants. We're going to start with the law of obedience, kind of the most basic. We're going to go to the law of sacrifice. I don't know how you've organized these five. Let me just tell you how I've organized them. This is everything I have to do. This is everything I have to let go of. Now the question is, how do I know? How do I know what I need to do and what I need to let go of in order to make it into the celestial kingdom? So the Lord says, how about I put it together and you put you under covenant to follow that system? I'll put all that you have to do and all that you have to let go of into one system. And that system will kind of govern you. Will you obey that system? Yes, Lord, I will. Okay, here is the system that I've given you that will teach you everything you need to do and everything you need to let go of. I will clarify what's celestial. And that's the law of the gospel. Now, what's interesting is these last two are not different, right? Is the law of chastity a part of the law of the gospel? Is the law of consecration a part of the law of the gospel? But of all things, of all the gospel portions, of everything that makes up the law of the gospel, why does he emphasize these two? So first is chastity and then consecration. Now that's a question I want to linger in your head while we get there. But notice what we're doing. We are increasing in the demands, the demands of our covenants. Now we're also increasing this direction. So there is a telestial aspect, there's a terrestrial aspect, and then there's a celestial aspect. And we're gonna take obedience down this path. 
So we're going to take the most basic and most simple, and then we're going to add to it, and then we're going to take it and increase it. Do you see the direction we're going? So we're going to take the most basic commandment, the most basic law, and make it very, very intense. And then we're going to do it again with a higher one, and then a higher one, and then a higher. See what the Lord's doing? So tell me what is happening as I go this direction. So this is kind of obviously I'm increasing in the depth, the breadth of the covenant. I mean, this is I'll do what you ask. And I'm willing to give everything I am, everything I have to this cause. Do you see that increase as you go from covenant one to covenant five? But what, what is this line? We talked about that in law of the gospel. Tell me, what did you see happening as we increase from celestial to terrestrial to celestial? Okay, so there's a depth of acceptance. Anything else? I mean, not just acceptance, but it's a becoming. I'd say there's a change of nature. Okay, so I'm changing my nature. And it's going from where to where? It's going from outward to inward. So... Tell me this change. If we put chapel covenants on here and say round number one of our covenants is saying, will you just brute do it? I need you to quit smoking. Will you just do it? You're in violation of the law of chastity. Will you just do it? So there kind of is that rudimentary... I'm going to do it. Now what do I start working on as I begin to attend the temple and make temple covenants? I am changing my heart. So yes, Lord, I'll do it. But I really don't want to. And then that's becoming, you don't need to ask. Because I'll do it because I want to. I'll do it because you said so. I'll do it because you want is transitioning into, I don't need you to tell me because I'm gonna do it because I want to. I want what he wants and I'm willing to follow. Let me use the analogy of, what's $14 a month? Oh, the NMSL season. Oh, okay. We can skip that. We also like yeah. <laughs> we'll just put my screen on for a second. Um, what was I saying? Oh, I'll do it. Okay, let me use the analogy of, that's why I went to here. Let me use this analogy of... Let me use this analogy of a horse. Tell me what this horse is doing. 
I run free and live my life my way. Now, I love that about horses, and I don't mean to get into that issue. But that horse will live better, longer, and a more fulfilled life under my loving care. Now, if you want to argue with that, we can save that for another day. But I testify, I tell you, I can make life better for that horse. For example, you know why we, we, you know why we shoe horses? It has nothing to do with what we want. It's not our ability to ride them. You know why we shoe horses? A horse's hoof is like what? Fingernails. Imagine one huge fingernail that just keeps growing and growing and growing. And horses don't have a mechanism of trimming their own fingernails. And once that thing gets too long, what does it do? It cracks and it's very, they don't even have a means of trimming it. And I come along and say, let me, let me partner with you. Let me help. Now, do you see me and Heavenly Father here? Do you see you will live happier and better and a more fulfilled life under my care if I can help you than on your own? Now, tell me what this horse, the telestial horse, is thinking. No, no. no way. I'm better <laughs> off on my own and I run. Now, Somehow, I'm brought into captivity, and I put a big rope around me. Now, tell me what that rope, tell me what that rope means. The more I pull against it, the more telestial I am. Can I use that analogy? I don't want God to tell me what to do. So this is a telestial horse, pulling against God at every turn. What does the rope look like for a terrestrial horse? There's a little bit of slack, but I'm going to constantly... No, come on. Come on. Come on. In other words, it's the, you know, it's the green pasture over there that's like... Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. And I, I appreciate that I am a terrestrial person that needs a tug once in a while. Now tell me what the horse looks like for a celestial being. Tell me what the, the rope looks like for a celestial being. You could say, let's just keep the rope on. Just for the analogy, tell me what the rope looks like for a celestial being. He could lay that rope on his shoulder because anywhere he went, I would follow. He does not need to tug me anymore. Now, do you see where we're trying to get? We're trying to move into that level. Our temple covenants are trying to push us to that level of in my heart. And then as we're doing that, we're getting more and more deep, more and more broad in those covenants. So before we go on, we're going to do sacrifice soon, but before we go on, what I want to show you is the brilliance of a simple Book of Mormon chapter that we've all, we all love, we all know, and we've all applied it to 
something else. And I think the depth of it is to say, it is the secret. This chapter has the secret to doing this with every single covenant. The process of going from, okay, fine, I'll do it, to you don't need to ask. And the chapter is Alma 32. Alma 32, the growing of the seed. Now tell me how we've always applied Alma 32. Faith is like a seed. And so here's how you grow a testimony. And I love that application. And we'll use that application as we go. But what I want you to see is I love that two weeks ago when we did the law of obedience, several of you kind of caught that and said, you know what? I recognize I don't want to, but I want to want to. And I think that's a very common feeling when, as, as I begin to make these covenants, they mean more to me. You know what? I, I recognize that I don't fully want to, but I want to want to. So let me introduce Alma chapter 32 in the context of how do I grow a want to? So let's replace the seed of faith with the seed of desire. How do you get to the point where I want what he wants? I truly want to live the way he wants to live. How do I get that? What is the rest of my life? Show me a glimpse of the rest of my life and how I get to that point. So let's go back to Alma chapter 32. And we need to awake and arouse our faculties. That's, that's a very telestial, you know, get off, shake off the telestial man image, right? We saw that with Lehi and his sons. Awake, arise. How many times, in the, isn't that how the temple starts? Awake, arise. Come on, get off, shake off the telestial. And the way you take that first step is an experiment, an experiment of desire. Let's see if we can grow our desire through an experiment by exercising a particle of faith, even if we can no more want to want to. Now, what does it start? Verse 28, we'll compare the word, we'll, we'll compare the desire, we'll compare my keeping of covenants to a seed. Now we're gonna do three phases. Phase number one is the seed phase. And it's okay to say, my temple covenants are in the seed phase. My testimony is in the seed phase. If I understand what the purpose of the seed phase is, I can recognize when I'm in the seed phase and when I get out of the seed phase. All right, and then we'll do number two in just a minute, and then we'll do number three. The three phases. Step number one is that we have to, and I, I wanna do the blank so that we could mark this together. Phase number one starts when I do what? All of this whole experiment starts when I give place. Notice that's a doing, right? So it starts when I do and maybe it's just brute do 
I don't know if any of you want to confess that I did not want to go on a mission, but I did. I did not want to, but I did. I did not want to, but I did. And I think Adam's a great example. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just doing it. I don't know. I don't understand. But I'm just doing. Now, if you do, I shouldn't. Let me use letters, so I'm not using the same. If you are willing to just brute do, something's going to happen. The result of doing is going to do, is going to, um, how do I put this? Look fours. If I will do, Four things, one or multiple of four things are going to happen. Number one, tell me the first one. If I will do, if I will give place, and it's a true seed, okay? We're talking temple. I think you know that this is a true seed. If it's a true seed, if it's a good seed, if I don't cast it out with my unbelief, if I start to do, it will swell within me. In other words, brute doing, raw obedience produces a swelling, a feeling. You'll feel something. Now notice, if you went to the temple and didn't love it, and it was a weird place to you, but what did you do? Tell me what you did. You kept going. I kept going, and I kept going, and pretty soon, what happened? My feeling for the temple began to change. I have a swelling going on inside of me. I'm feeling something. Because I just keep doing, I'm feeling something. But what I love is, that's not the only evidence and we need to be honest. And sometimes we get criticized. We're so feeling oriented. You Mormons and your feelings. Okay, we admit that we seek the swelling that's within us. But notice the other two, the other three. So it will swell within your breasts. And when it does, I will say, it's a good seat. Because it beginneth to... Enlarge my soul. Meaning what? My soul is growing, changing. Guess what will be the result if the temple is a divine thing? If it really is what we claim, then just raw going is going to have what effect? It will change you. It will change you. Reading the Book of Mormon will do what? If the book's true, reading it will change you. If there is a God speaking to him, praying to him, seeking his will, will change you. And one of the greatest evidences that what you're doing is good is that it changes you. It will enlarge. It will make you bigger. You will grow.
Okay, what's the next one? It will enlighten. And this is where I love watching people open the Book of Mormon reluctantly. You know, it's a little... And then they keep reading, and pretty soon it's... This feels good. It's changing me. And then if they keep going, what happens? It's one of my favorite things. If they keep going, what happens? All of a sudden, the light starts to come on in so many aspects of their life. Do you remember that moment when, in your mission, when all of a sudden you began to connect some very serious dots that you'd never connected before? Serving a mission turned lights on. And I saw deeper and broader than I'd ever seen before. Not just missionary work. I saw him, I saw atonement, I saw marriage, I saw ceilings. I saw everything deeper and broader. It just enlightened my understanding. Now, if you're going to the temple and all of a sudden lights start to connect, tell me what you can say. Tell me what you're gonna know. This seed is a good seed. This is the right place to be. This is the right thing to do. This is a good seed. If it swells, if it enlarges, if it enlightens. And one more. And this is the promise of President Nelson. If you don't love going, go until it becomes delicious. Now, all of a sudden, I don't know that I'm 100% I want to do this all the time, but I can tell you, this tastes really good. This tastes good. When Joseph Smith in the, I think I have a slide of this. When Joseph Smith was teaching the King Follett discourse about what God is and what we know about him, uh, did I... I tried to. I didn't. Dang it. Shoot. Okay. But, Joe, let me just read it. In the King Follett Discourse, he said, now he's revealing what? Tell me what he's revealing how God became God, right? Now, what do you think their first reaction to Joseph Smith revealing how God became God was? <laughs> but the more you ponder, the more you study, the more you let it distill, what happens? What begins to happen? This feels right. And then, oh my goodness. Now I, this is making me a better person and lights are coming on. So in the middle of that, Joseph Smith said, this is good doctrine. How do you know it? It tastes good. I can taste the principles of eternal life and so can you. You say honey is sweet and so do I. I can also taste the spirit of eternal life. I know it is good. And when I tell you of these things which are given me by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you are bound to receive them as sweet and rejoice more and more. It just is delicious. 
It's just delicious. Now ponder where you are in the temple, where you've been. Was there a point where the temple was, but I'm going to go. And the more you went, what started to happen? And the more you went, it started to change you. It felt different. Lights start turning on. It's delicious. Now, how many of you can honestly say the temple is delicious to you? Much more delicious than it was when I first started going. You don't need to raise your hand. I'm assuming you're all going to raise your hand. But the idea, right? Why do you go to the temple? It's delicious. Now, I think the end result of phase number one, this seed phase, let me point out. This one's marked, so I can just we can do, do a quick look here. Let me just show you this colored one. Now, starting in verse 28, let's see if I, how many I can put on the screen at once. Notice the gray boxes. Seed, 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 seed. Seed, 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 seed. All the way down to 36. It's a seed. Now that's going to change. But here's the seed. Now, no way Joseph Smith wrote this book, right? Look at this. <laughs> no way Joseph Smith wrote this book. That's cool. But the seed phase of your testimony, what's the end result? What's the, what's the graduation day of the seed phase of your testimony? Well, I love what Alma says here, that after we do the experiment, let's go to verse 30. Uh, let's go back here so I can zoom in. But as the seed swelleth and sprouteth and beginneth to grow, you must needs say that the seed is good. For it beginneth, for behold, it swelleth and sprouteth and beginneth to grow. And now will not this strengthen your faith? Yea, it will strengthen your faith. For you will say, I know that this is a good seed. The end result of phase number one is, I know the seed is good. I know that this house is where I need to be. I know that the seed is good. I'm not there yet. And again, I love that Alma points out, are you sure? that the seed is good. Can you be sure that the seed is good? Taking this to the Book of Mormon, can you be sure that the Book of Mormon is good without being able to answer every single question about it? How did Joseph translate it? What did the hat have to do with it? What was the stone he used? What was the whole process involved? Seems kind of weird to me. I don't understand the process, but can you come to the conclusion? But one thing I know beyond, I am sure that that seed is a good seed. That's phase number one. And I hope you are getting to the point where you can say, I know that the seed is a good seed. I love how he says here, 
Is your, is your knowledge perfect? Well, it's perfect in what sense? In that thing. Do you know all things? Uh, 36. No, where is it? Let me go back here. Uh, here it is. End of verse 35. Now behold, after you have tasted this light, is your knowledge perfect? Meaning, do you know all that there is to know? Not even a chance. I am, I'm just a baby in this process. But what I know is that the seed is a good seed. If the seed was the Book of Mormon, if the seed was prayer, if the seed, this is the beauty of Alma chapter 32, whatever the experiment was, you can say, I know that that is a good seed. And I know a lot of people who have come to the conclusion, I know that the seed is a good seed. Now, may I suggest that I think knowing my audience, we're here. You wouldn't be taking a class on the Institute if you didn't know that, a class on the temple, if you didn't know that the seed was a good seed. Love the temple. I don't know that I get everything out of it that I should, and hence the class, but I know it's a good seat. So now let's move on to phase two. Going back to all the seeds, notice I'm gonna stop it at 36. Notice seed, 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 seed. And then when you turn to 37, all of a sudden, it's not a seed anymore. This is the transition. It's a tree. Now, how big a tree? As you read these verses, how big a tree? This is what I call the little tree. Now, little trees are vulnerable. And people who are coming out of the seed phase of their temple life are vulnerable. You're vulnerable. And maybe take this as a warning as, and as a challenge. You can take this in two directions. And they're both N words. Verse 37, let's go to this version. And 37, what is the first N word? You can nourish. You can nourish. Now again, talking about my temple experience, my temple covenants, attending, going, growing. I know the temple's a good place. I felt it, it's changed me. It's connected dots I've never connected before. It tastes good, I know the temple's a good thing. And that's quite a victory to get to that point. Now, it needs nourishing. And one of the best ways to, to nourish temple attend, one of the best ways to nourish the temple seed is to go and to ponder and to let the temple live inside you, to take classes on temple, to appropriately talk about it, to think about it. I have a little tree inside of me and it needs to grow. I have to nourish it. Now give me the verbs here. If I nourish, walk, walk, walk me through this process. If I nourish 
my commitment to love for understanding of the temple. If I nourish that desire, it will take root, right? Now, if it takes root, it will grow up. And if it grows up, it will produce fruit. Now, we're going to get to this in just a minute, but if I take care of, say, my testimony, pretty soon my testimony will take care of me. If I get through the vulnerable years and grow my commitment to temple covenants, if I grow my desire to do what Heavenly Father asks, if I grow my desires, those desires will produce fruit fruit that then do what? Grow me, take care of me. That's what we're going to get to in just a minute. But the other N word is the negative. Let's go to verse 38. It is possible after discovering that the temple is a good seed, reading the book and knowing that the Book of Mormon is a good seed, attending a church and knowing it is a good seed. It is possible then to neglect. And this is the tragedy. Watch, watch what happens. If I neglect to nourish the tree, then tell me what happens. No roots. Now here's the problem. Ready? I have no nourishment. I have no roots. Therefore, this is going to be less than this. If this is less than this, what direction is my tree going to go? Now, that's exactly what happens. It won't have root. And then when the sun cometh out, I will be scorched because the force against me was greater than the nutrients I was feeding me. And if I get scorched... My desire, my commitment, my love is going to wither. And here's the biggest tragedy in this whole thing. You will pluck it. It's not the world that plucks it. It's not the enemies who pluck it. Who will pluck it? You will pluck it. And you will cast it out. And what will you blame the whole time? What are you going to blame? You're going to blame the seed. It wasn't the seed. Now, we all know people, even at the temple, how many of you know someone who came to know that the temple was a good seed and now has plucked out that tree because it withered and died? Now, can you, do you, do you, see, do you hear the warning voice I'm trying to issue? It is not enough to say, I know the seed is a good seed. You have to nourish that. And it takes a lifetime of nourishing it. And if you do, it will grow fruit. If you don't, it will wither. 
can I teach you how to grow cotton in Arizona? I spent eight years in Arizona, southern Arizona, and I lived in the middle of cotton fields. I built a house surrounded by cotton fields, and it was the most fascinating thing to watch them grow. Cotton has a broad leaf, and you would think a broad leaf plant would struggle in the heat of the Arizona sun. Let me teach you how to grow cotton in Arizona. First time I watched them do it, I was dumbfounded. First, they furrow their rows. And then they start irrigating. And they irrigate for about two weeks. They irrigate dirt for two weeks. No seed, dirt. And they just irrigate for two weeks. And then they plant and stop irrigating. And they go about two to three weeks without irrigating. I thought that was the most backwards thing on earth. And, you know, the Utah boy who was, you know, the Utah seminary teacher who, who was a stranger was saying, wait a minute, let me understand this. You watered the dirt, planted, then stopped watering. I don't think you understand the concept of growing. You watered, planted, and then stopped watering. Yes. And luckily, the loving farmer knew I was the new seminary teacher in town. He just smiled and said, I want you to figure that out. It took me about three crops, three cycles to finally figure it out. And then all of a sudden, it was the most brilliant thing on earth. Tell me where the water level was after two weeks of watering the dirt. It was all the way up to the top. The water level was up here. And then they put a seed in and stop watering. Tell me what's going to happen. The water line is going to recede. And what is that seed going to do as the water line recedes? It's going to chase the water. And now this, the heat of the Arizona sun, doesn't compare to the nutrients that can come up from below. And that's how cotton survives in the, in the desert, in 115 degrees. Because this is not as big as this. Now, if they didn't do it that way, if they planted the seed and then watered, tell me what the seed would do. It would sprout out like this, right? And then when the real heat comes, this would be far bigger than this. Now, the brilliance of Alma 32 is that applies to everything. It applies to prayer. It applies to reading the Book of Mormon. It applies to membership in the church. But today, I want to push you to think of that in terms of your temple commitment. I promise you, the heat of the sun is only going to get hotter. I know every single one of you have tasted the heat of the sun. In a world of social media, I know you've tasted the heat of the sun, the questioning, the darts. Now, is this bigger than this? Do you see the vulnerability of where you're at? You can either nourish or neglect and it's your choice if you nourish you'll get here we'll do this one in a second if you neglect 
that heat is coming after you. And it's only going to get worse, isn't it? But if this is greater than this, what direction is the tree growing? Now, here's the beautiful thing. Let's go to 30, or 42. Tell me what the tree does to the grower of the tree in verse 42. Now, let me, sorry, let me take you back to verse 40. This isn't any old tree we're growing. Notice what tree we're growing. We are growing. Come on. We are growing the tree of life. Every one of you will grow a tree of life inside you. Now, if you grow it, if you, if you grow it, let's read this, verse 42. And because of your diligence and your faith and your patience, that's an interesting word, right? Will you think about that in terms of temple attendance? Your patience with the word and nourishing it, that it may take root, I love this phrase, in you. It may take root in you. Behold, by and by ye shall pluck the fruit thereof, which is most precious, which is sweet above all that is sweet, white above all that is white, and pure above all that is pure, and ye shall feast upon this fruit until you are filled even until you hunger not, neither shall you thirst. Now here's the beauty as I see the gospel. If you got through that vulnerable period when your testimony, when your commitment, your attendance, your desire was vulnerable, if you nourished and grew fruit, this is the fruit stage. Stage three is the fruit stage. And if you grew the tree, tell me what the, free, the tree now does. Now the tree, see, I don't need God to push me anymore because I am the tree. I have the fruit the desire has full grown inside me to the point where I eat the fruit of that desire. If you will grow the tree, there will come a point where your tree will grow you. And that's the blessing. I just, I leave you my witness that that is the promise of everything. Testimony, your witness of the Book of Mormon, if you got through the heat of the sun and fed it and produced this tree that now has nutrients and root inside itself, when the darkness comes, my testimony feeds me. You can get to the point where your desire feeds you. You don't have to feed it. When your commitment feeds you, you don't have to feed it. Let me give you two examples. Let me give you an example of someone we all know. Well, I'm assuming you know and love. Someone you know and love. Someone I definitely know and love. 
who thought he had a foundation. And when the heat of the sun came, he discovered he didn't. His name is C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was converted to Christianity in kind of a logical conclusion. He came to, it became obvious to him that Christianity was correct because C.S. Lewis noticed that we all have this moral code inside of us. We all know what's right and wrong. If you listen to people arguing, what's at the heart of their argument? Someone did something that we all accept was wrong. Well, how do we get the idea that it's wrong? C.S. Lewis came to the conclusion that that has to be this moral law inside of us. Everyone has this moral law, and yet no one fully lives up to it. That was his conclusion. We all have a moral law inside of us, and no one lives up to it. Therefore, we're making ourselves enemies to God every day because he's told us how he wants us to behave and we're not obeying that way. Therefore, the only salvation we have, the only hope we have is if someone comes and pays the penalty for us. A God comes into human form and pays the penalty for us. So for him, Christianity was the obvious choice. So he jumped in, he jumped in. He knew Christianity was good. but I don't know if he fully nourished. And then tell me the heat. Anyone know the heat that came? His wife died. Joy was her name. Joy died. And it wrecked him. And he said the following. Now tell me if he has fruit to eat in his moment of need. This is his moment of need. Ever wondered what C.S. Lewis looks like? Yeah, that's him. Just if you've never won, if you've never known. He said the following. You never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life or death to you. It's easy to say you believe a rope to be strong and sound as long as you're merely using it to tie a box. But so, suppose you had to hang over that rope over a cliff. Wouldn't you first discover how much you really trusted it? Now, speaking of himself, I had been warned. I had warned myself. We are even promised suffering. They are part of the program. We are told, blessed are they that mourn. And I accepted it. And I've got nothing that I hadn't bargained for. Of course, it's different when it actually happens to you and not to someone else, and in reality and not in imagination. I thought I trusted the rope until it mattered to me whether it would bear me. And now it matters. And I find it didn't. His testimony didn't hold him up. He didn't have the fruit to get through the darkness. He said, Bridge players tell me there must be some money on the game or else people won't take it seriously. Apparently it's like that. Your bid for God for eternal life will not be serious if nothing much is staked on it. And you'll never discover how serious it is until the stakes are raised horribly high. Until you find you are not playing for counters or for six pences, but for every penny you have in the whole world. 
Nothing less will shake a man or any rate a man like me out of his merely verbal thinking and his merely notional beliefs. He has to be knocked silly before he comes to his senses. Only trial will bring out the truth. Only trial does he discover it for himself. Now, you can tell what he became because of this realization, right? What did he realize? I need to do a whole lot more of this. Now, compare that to Katie Lewis's mother. Watch her in the moment of greatest darkness have fruit to eat. Fruit. Because she gave nutrients to that vulnerable little tree when it was vulnerable, and now it's going to save her. Um, this is Elder Holland, 1993. Katie Lewis is my neighbor. Her father, Randy, is my bishop. Her mother, Melanie, is a saint, and her older brother, Jimmy, is battling leukemia. Sister Lewis recently recounted for me the unspeakable fear and grief that came to their family when Jimmy's illness was diagnosed. She spoke of the tears and the waves of sorrow that any mother would experience with a prognosis as grim as Jimmy's was. But like the faithful Latter-day Saints that they are, the Lewises turned to God with urgency and with faith and with hope. They fasted and prayed, prayed and fasted. They went again and again to the temple. One day, Sister Lewis came home from a temple session, wearied and worried, feeling the impact of so many days and nights of fear being held at bay only by monumental faith. As she entered her home, four-year-old Katie ran up to her with love in her eyes and a crumpled sheaf of papers in her hand. Holding the papers out to her mother, she said enthusiastically, Mommy, do you know what these are? Sister Lewis said that, frankly, her first impulse was to deflect Katie's zeal and say she didn't feel like playing just then. But she thought of her children, all her children, and the possible regret of missed opportunities and little lives that passed too swiftly. So she smiled through her sorrow and said, no, Katie, I don't know what they are. Please tell me. They're the scriptures, Katie beamed back. And do you know what they say? Sister Lewis stopped smiling, gazed deeply at this little child, knelt down to her level and said, tell me, Katie, what do the scriptures say? They say, trust Jesus. And then she was gone. Now watch the fruit. Ready? Watch this woman eat fruit from her testimony. Sister Lewis said that as she stood back up, holding a fistful of her four-year-old scribbling, she felt near tangible arms of peace encircle her weary soul and a divine stillness calm her troubled heart. You can only eat the fruit of the tree of life that gives life if you gave life to the tree when it needed it. You are at that vulnerable stage. You can nourish or you can neglect. I want to want to. You can nourish or neglect. If you nourish, someday that tree will nourish you. That's the way the Lord's kingdom works.
That's the way these covenants work at every level. If you nourish, you will be nourished. If you prepare, you will be prepared. If you organize, you will be organized. So as we now go back to these covenants and we start talking about pushing them to higher and higher levels and it seems harder and harder, come back to this conversation and say, look, I just have to, I know, I know these covenants are good. I know the temple is good. I know this is the right place to be, even though it scares the living daylights out of me to know what's expected of me and where I'm supposed to go. And I don't know if I'm ever going to get there, but I know it's a good seat. So then you just keep nourishing. You just keep nourishing. If I can give you one last thought as to how to nourish the tree. I think you'd all, if I were to ask, how do you nourish the tree? How, if the temple is the tree, how do you nourish the tree? First thing out of all of our mouths is going to be go. And I 100% agree. But let me give you something that I don't think we do as often. We should go more. I think we would all admit we should go more. But after Jesus had taught very intense truths to the Nephites, he said what I often think he says to me when I come out of the temple. I hear Jesus say this to me all the time when I walk out of the temple. I perceive that you are weak and you didn't understand everything that I was commanded of the Father to tell you. Yes, that is very true, Lord. I didn't get it all. Okay, Bryce. Let's number these. Number one, the secret to nourishing the tree of the, te of the temple is not what you do at the temple. He says, go home. You want to nourish your tree. Let me tell you what you need to do when you go home. Tell me the next word. Ponder. And I would say part of the nourishing is how long you spend thinking and pondering. And then ask. Ask. Talk to a Heavenly Father about His house. No one, no one will ever accuse you of thinking inappropriate things that we shouldn't be thinking about outside the temple. Guess what? You're safe. You're safe to think about them outside the temple. Ponder, ask, and then prepare. And then Come again. Give me those five again. Go home. Go home. Go home. Go home from the temple and ponder. Ask. Then prepare your minds to come again. Go back to the temple prepared. Looking. Asking. 
Why in the world do we do that as part of the temple ceremony? And I spend time thinking and pondering. And I go back looking. Can I tell you? There's part of it in the endowment. When I was first endowed, there's a portion of the endowment. I just, why do we do that? Why do we do that? I couldn't find it anywhere in the scriptures. And I just, I pondered a lot. Where is it? Where is it, Lord? Why can't I find it? Why can't I see what this is? And years later, I'm at a ceiling. I'm staring at the chandelier. And sitting in the chandelier was the answer. Oh my goodness, there it is. And all of a sudden, I connected so many dots. Now, I don't know that the chandelier, you need to, don't run into the chandelier and look for answers <laughs> to your questions. The point is, I walked into the temple prepared. And I happened to be looking at the chandelier. I think he could have taught me the answer a thousand other places. But I walked into the temple having pondered and asked and prepared. And I saw and I made a connection. And after you make enough of those connections, I guarantee you begin to eat the fruit of the temple. So it's about to get pretty intense, especially as we get to chastity and consecration. Notice these two Notice these two are me. Then we start to transition to others. It's going to get more and more intense. The more we start talking about these, this, shifting this direction is going to get intense, won't it? And then shifting this direction is going to add to that intensity. Just remember that little tree. And if you've come here knowing that the seed is a good seed, then my solution to everything that we're going to talk about is grow the tree. Just grow the tree. Insights will come. Knowledge will come. Commitment will deepen. And pretty soon, when it does, the tree will feed you. And with that, I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.